Welcome to the UX Growth Podcast, your go-to source for expert insights and actual advice on all things UX design. If you're enjoying the show, I would love for you to subscribe and never miss an episode on your podcasting platform. And don't forget to sign up for our UX Growth Insider newsletter, where you will get exclusive access to even more resources, tips, and insights that help you take your UX design skills to the next level. Be sure to check out our website at theuxgrowth.com, where you can find show notes and links to our social media channels. And last but not least, be sure to follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn for even more UX design goodness. All links are found in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and let's grow together. Hi, this is the UX Growth Podcast, the podcast that helps people learn and grow in the UX design industry. I'm your host, Nick Mann. I'm here with another guest of season two with Matthew Voschel, founder and CEO at Relentless Persistence. Thank you for being here, Matthew. Thank you for having me, Nick. Appreciate it. Yes. Let's begin by tell us a bit about your background. How'd you get to the place you are today? Yeah, so I was uh, born and raised in South Philly, youngest of four boys. Um, did my undergraduate at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, I actually had a career in cybersecurity for a little while before I moved to New York uh, to become a product designer. Um, worked at uh, various different consultancies and banks. Uh, and then in the pandemic, I moved out here to Seattle. Mm-hmm, yeah, it's such, it's such a beautiful uh, city because there's like, uh, not only is there's a lot of great tech companies, but it's also like a lot of culturally diverse backgrounds. And it's like really great ways to learn. Amazing Asian food. Yeah. yeah Every kind of Asian too. food you can think of is here. It's, it's all, it's all dangerous. I, I think I put on like 20 pounds since I moved here. Probably. Well, especially now, like with um, Uber Eats and DoorDash, that's like so convenient now. It's like, my gosh. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's begin by like some of the lessons that you have learned in your career that you have gone through um, when you when you started as like a product designer. What were some of the things that that really like jumped out at you when you first began? Mm. Holy shit, you're going to pay me how much to do this? <laughs> like um, even it wasn't work to me, right? I think that was the first lesson I learned was like, this is fun to a degree, right? Like I'm, I'm creating something and it's not, it's not physical, it's digital. So I can do it very quickly and then get rid of it, start all over again, get rid of it again, start all over again. Um, it was multifaceted. I wasn't just in front of a computer. I was up talking to people. I was interacting with everyone from stakeholders to, um, developers and my first internship. So it was really just the fluidity to like, just be, and also the surprise of just, wait, um, I'm, I like this. This is cool and I can bring value. But I was genuinely, I felt genuinely surprised. It's like, I just felt like, wow, I, don't, I shouldn't be getting paid for this. I'm having too much fun. <laughs> it's from, from the very first thing I ever created when I was in that internship, all the way to the, the, the sessions I'm doing with beta users today. My favorite thing is when I hand a product to somebody I put in the work, I put in effort to learn about, you know, who they are, what they care about, all those kinds of things. And they don't say anything. They just look at the app and they just start smiling because it dawns on them that like it understands them or there's something about it that's been missing in their other Mm -hmm. applications. And now when they're using this software that I created, it's like someone finally gets them. Yeah, I know that that's actually starting to feel like a little lost with some of the agencies I've worked at where 
lot of decisions and uh, they make is through all this data. They don't actually see their users use it and like in person. They don't get to see the emotions on their face. There's kind of two sides to that, right? There's the the business pressure side, and that just kind of has a tendency, unfortunately, to push you into a feature factory where you're just pumping out stuff and you're not really yeah. paying attention of whether or not it's actually accomplishing much. <laughs> you know, you're you're just getting you're getting you're getting paid to do your work as an AUC and you're delivering things. Okay. That's you end up just getting in that kind of mindset, I think, right? Then also I think, and I think this is also true of a lot of, of, of juniors that I meet or just in general that don't have like a say a psychology background of not even caring about the tech like yeah the tech is cool that's going to enable something but what's the person doing like it, it, the designer has to have that kind of mindset and the company really has to have that kind of mindset now Amazon takes it a bit too far with their quote-unquote customer obsession I don't think we should be obsessed with anybody I believe those are called stalkers <laughs> right uh, and I think they go a bit too far right um but yeah, it, it it's very easy to get caught up in the tech, but you need to step back and say, yeah, okay, there's a human being using this at the end of the day, right? They think the research is like white lab codes and it's going to take six months and we're going to have to send out all these surveys or have to pay all this money. Like, no, dude. Like, <laughs> first of all, especially if you're in a B2B company, you're more than likely going to have people that could be subject matter experts right next to you in the company. So leverage that resource immediately. Second of all, LinkedIn, use that, reach out to people, especially if it's a product that could possibly impact them. Be like, hey, do you have 30 minutes so I can learn about what your day looks like? And if you give them like genuine interest, like, hey, I'm genuinely interested in you. I'm not trying to sell a product. You actually get quite a few people that way. You don't have to give them gift cards, like just appeal to their their passion in that way, right? And then lastly, it doesn't need to be, you know, 400, 500 people. As long as you can get three to four, right? Once you can start almost completing their sentences because the answers you're getting are kind of in the mm -hmm. same ballpark roughly, that could take you literally a week, won't really cost you much of anything and would be worth probably a thousand surveys you could ever send out. Yeah, I know. I totally feel you on that. I also want to note on like when you reach out to people and how receptive a lot of people are if you care. Like that's how I feel like when I started this podcast. Like for right the longest time, I always felt like who would want to talk with me. I felt like I was a nobody in the podcasting space, but it turns out like there's a lot of people like in the UX space that are just willing to help out. It's actually like incredible how many people are just so kind to another. How this industry becomes better is through collaboration with one another as well. Like this, this is not just a one, you know, one thing that you can just solo and be successful at. That kind of like leads into like a topic of like the interview process of it sure. all. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious to know that. Um, so for for all the companies that you worked at, what do you say is the differences in the interview processes that you have noticed? I mean, I've, I mean, I've definitely gone through the process where you interview for like six weeks. Um, I've been asked by companies you've definitely heard of to give them like a two year, put together a two year plan of how do you increase their product engagement by 200%, like some stuff like that. I've, I've been asked for free work time to time when I was early on in my career. Some of it, I did it. Um, but then when I ultimately didn't get that job, I just put it on my portfolio. So it was kind of two birds with one stone kind of a thing, right? Yeah. yeah that's uh, one way to get out of it. But but first and foremost, I know, right? Yeah, exactly. But first and foremost, they're hard. Like if anybody who's listening thinks they're hard, they're hard. There is no mold to like, okay, you fit this mold, therefore that. There's so much subjectivity in the hiring process. I know it just feels like there's so many, uh, because the field is so big that 
it can, it, it doesn't yeah. feel like you can fit into every single area and you, we cannot define like what is our strengths what is the kind of work environments we're into because some yeah, are yeah. a lot faster than others and some are a lot more cooperative and there's some that are you know the kinds of work they're doing is it could be from like very small scale to gigantic scale so it's like, man, there's like so many different processes of ways that we go about it and to like to figure out, so like, is this the one for me? I was very much like Billy Bean. I, I was, I, I was like, I have to think about this differently. And so the way I evaluate designers is probably a way different than traditionally people do. Um, I mean, I obviously look at your portfolio, look at your LinkedIn, but the questions I ask for more to understand, like, how does your brain work? right? Mm -hmm. Can I apply how that works to a particular problem I have in a product now, right? I don't care where you went to school. Okay. How old you are, your background, like, does your brain work this way? Great. Cause that's going to be great for the problem I have on this product. And that's mm -hmm. what I did. And I ended up building out a, a whole team uh, there at EY um, using that method. And we got a ton of stuff done and built. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know that's, that's kind of how I feel like when there are like, it can be so difficult to evaluate talents because there is so much criteria. And there's also this level you kind of have to go with your gut feeling and not like everyone has that natural ability to see the potential in someone. You're going to, you're going to go through jobs throughout the course of your life, right? And your job doesn't, you know, define who you are as a person. So just try to do your best to learn from that experience, right? And try again, get back, fall down eight times, or no, it's a fall, fall down eight times, get up nine. Yeah. So yeah. Um, just, you just got to have that kind of mentality of like, yes, this is going to happen. I'm just going to continue to do this. And if it does happen, learn from it and then try to apply that to the next position. Cause there's certainly no everything with, with, with software eating the world, there would be no shortage of designers. So it's certainly out there. You just got to figure out where does your passion align? And is there a company that aligns with that? Yeah, I want to touch on uh, when you mentioned uh, the, the falling down, but you get back up. And that's, that's the fun thing is, yeah. is that, yeah, like no, no one cares about your failures, really. They only like, care about your successes. When we look at like all these really great tech startups and successful people, man, we don't, we don't look all the time. It's like, you know, they were doing bad. Like it's like when there's like a unicorn startup, it's like, and then it's owner talks about, yeah, this is like my fifth startup. And it's like all the other ones completely flatlines, but it's like, we only care about this one because it's doing so well. I forget, somebody posted it on LinkedIn that I saw that it was, tonight. It's, it's, I've seen it before. It's an iceberg, right? And on the top of it, it says, quote unquote, overnight success. But then underneath the water, right? Mm -hmm. You're seeing all of this trial and tribulation and times yeah. they got it wrong. I mean, this is the first time I'm a CEO of the company now and I'm getting tons of stuff wrong. Right. But I try mm. to surround myself with smart people and, and take counsel from, I have an advisor, right? So I ask her questions to try to make up, but you know, you're going to make mistakes. Like you are a accepting that you're a human being and you're going to make mistakes is probably the first step. And then understanding when you make that mistake, Hey, that happened. I knew that was mm -hmm. probably going to happen. Just try to learn from it and get back up and go again. I know this thing is like, we all need to be future focused about where, where the, the economy is going where our career is going and that's like you know so now we're having uh this thing called ai that's always been kind of around mm -hmm. but it's never been such a focal point in such recent months and it's just so fascinating mm -hmm. to learn so much about it i would just like to uh let um hear from you like what are some of the ways that you have been using ai to improve your life as well as your career for a chat gpt use um, or actually, let me back up. There's another one called soundbetter.cc, which is great. 
you can almost <clears throat> literally be mean to it and it'll rewrite it in a nice way. So it's great <laughs> if you're really angry and you want to write something. As far as um, the application Sprint Zero that we're, we're going to launch or we're launching right now, I would say, <laughs> and I didn't find out about this till probably near the end, but I would, if I had to take a guess, I'd say half the code base was written by ChatGPT or by, yeah, by ChatGPT. Um, it's done a lot of our bug checks. Every time we run into an issue with something, we kind of ask it and it hasn't been wrong yet. Um, <laughs> wow. through to, yeah, it's through to, we've folded into the app, but in ways that I want to use AI ethically, I believe that there's still a lot of design that needs to remain human and there's an art form to it, like writing mm -hmm. user questions. That's an art form that takes context, that takes experience, right? Because you got to make sure it's open-ended, not leading, all these kinds of things, right? Yep. And then it has to take context, some other aspects. So that we're not helping. But um, everything from, we created this thing called a fun board, where what we're doing is we're asking GPT, hey, what was the number one song on this day? And then asking it that, okay, now that you know what that is, write clues for that song without mentioning the song title or the artist. And then it brings that back. And then we make another call to one of the music service APIs so that you can play the song itself. A team today that could be 50, right? This is what AI is, this is what this generative AI is doing, is taking, you know, instead of having to go over to, to you know, to offshore or India or, or Brazil or Chile or some other area where, you know, I, we need to hire 50 developers. It's like, no, it's just you and me. <laughs> and we're going to build an app that is comparable to that of a 50 person team using today's current technologies. And so I think you're going to see this like massive shrink where, yeah, you're not going to need 20 people on a, on a product team now anymore. You just need a designer who can write well, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe an engineer to, to, to basically babysit the, the code writing, which the AI is going to do for you based on the words that you write. Uh, and maybe like a product person to handle, you know, pricing and you know, that kind of stuff, which we're actually kind of also playing around with. I think this generative AI is, oh, I don't need to hire a junior copywriter because I want to write an email based on this data table. I can just give the generative AI the data table and cool, cool, write the letter that I'm going to give to the stakeholders based on this data and add projections for the next year based on you know the current trends. And it pops it out. And it not only does it, but it does it in literally like 30 seconds. I don't have to spend time hiring someone, which has its own caps time within it. Um, it's already, I don't have to explain it what I need. Like it just already knows because I've provided the data, right? So I think you could just, it's and the timing with the the, the pandemic and the um, economy in general is probably not great, but I think it's just going to enable innovation to the level that I'm not sure that we've seen in, in some time. Yeah, no, I definitely uh, agree, especially like in the, I, I, I also want to take note of the condensing of like the 20 people on the, uh, the team. It's like, my gosh, like, I think like, because of that, there's a lot of things like, it's like too many cooks in the kitchen and a lot of things <laughs> don't get done in the For speed sure. that they should. And uh, to go to the future of how we were using AI and being able to process a lot more information about fa and faster speeds. I think the role of a developer or engineer is going to drastically change. I remember, I'm old to remember when people put Microsoft Office as a skill on their resume, which at a certain point in time was a thing, but I think mm -hmm. that's obviously laughable now because it's just so ubiquitous. I think um, that'll be the same thing. Like you're, you're not going to learn how to code. You're going to learn how to tell AI how to code, which means you're going to have to learn how to write. 
I know I look at this like AI images, like the the next step of like how what the calculator did and what what the invention of Wikipedia. Oh did. yeah. But even though we yeah, the TI eighty three, I remember well, I don't know whatever else you use, they probably like ninety sixes or whatever. No, I think they now, still but... use that nowadays. <clears throat> really? Things have not changed. Well, yeah, but they still don't this is okay. We use technology to make our life better, but at least this is when I was in high school and I'm talking about late nineties. Um Yes, you could use it to your homework, but when you go to do the test, you can't use it. And it's like, but that's not real. In the real world, I'm going to have computers to do this work for me. So I wonder if like that trend will continue where schools, like you have to understand really what the generative AI is doing before you can lead it. And so I wonder if they'll still teach and kind of force in that so that you know it. You know, I kind of have some ideas and thoughts on that. And what I'm hearing from other teachers is that... (laughs) They are using uh, like a website that allows you to detect AI work. Yeah, it was only a matter of time for those to happen because you know the kids are going to be like, oh, really? I can write a paper? <laughs> I was talking to somebody on LinkedIn about this. Thing. So the guy or the person was basically advertising in, what do they call it on LinkedIn? Like the slider things? What was it called? It's like a, it's like a slide thing. Anyway, yeah, the yeah, carousel know, thing. Like an you Im- can put like, yeah, uh, whatever, it's like an image. Yeah, their images or. So it's basically like how yeah. to use GPT to create a portfolio. Yeah, I've been seeing quite message. a few of those. The minute I talk to that person, <laughs> it asks them a question and they will immediately, right, behave mm-hmm. or react in a way of a person who would have a resume that well-written or kind of whatever would have. It's it's the same thing as if like I tell you I'm only, I'm six foot three. Like eventually we're going to meet in person and you're going to see that I'm five eight. Like it's not like a thing that I can just high super easily i can uh, maybe mm-hmm. i get your attention but the minute you talk to me i'm like wait like your resume this what you're telling me like you're not as experienced as what this resume is telling me and then we've just wasted everyone's time feel free to use it to proofread if you wanted to like write something a little nicer for you like a, like, a, like a junior copywriter like i have no issues with that but don't use it to like you know write the resume of a five-year five-year uh <laughs> Uh, experienced senior designer and list all the things and have that out and then just copy paste that on your resume, I would highly advise against that. And you're going to get found out anyway. So There's always going to be some like embellishes that people have, but so there's always going to be like hot off where, where you, you know, not to lie about like what information that you know. I remember there was one, I think this is kind of an accident on my end, is that uh, when I was in college, there was like an in-house um, our, uh, like art studio and my role in there was the art director and apparently the what I didn't know is the art director role isn't exactly what I thought it was in in that area of the college campus versus like an agency setting so that was kind of like the difference in me understanding like what exactly was my roles and like led mm-hmm. to some unexpected um, anticipations uh-huh. based on that so, Matthew, what would you say has been the biggest learning lesson in all of your career so far? To some degree, I feel like I'm still learning it. <laughs> because especially I think, like, we should always like, be. Yeah, I was gonna say because there's and it's, like I said, I'm I've led design teams, I've done that side, but now I'm I'm the CEO, which is a whole nother layer. So I'm I'm actually kind of really the chief design officer and then also the CEO. And so I'm pushing myself to grow and learn new things. And I think in design, you're always doing that. There's always something new you're learning. There's always some new persona you're working on and people you need to talk to. And it's always that kind of stuff. So I think the best lesson I learned is just try your best to learn from your mistakes because you're going to make them. Trust your instincts, right? That's the very first thing. If something feels weird, probably is. 
or it feels off, it probably is. Um, your time is valuable. So this is, if you get asked to do a design exercise, oh, it's just a couple of hours, or like you ask them, what is your uh, interview process? And it's like six weeks and like 40 interviews, like it's okay to say no, your time is valuable. You're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you. So you should have some sort of uh, exploratory questions that are going to get them to talk to help you understand. Now, these questions you'll ask will probably be built up over time as you figure out places you know that you, you've worked at that you don't enjoy. You'll figure out what questions to ask to help you avoid that in the future. But um, definitely have questions. And no one is going to give you shit. You have to get out there and do stuff. Yeah, this is to like the, the post I see like, oh, you know, I've been looking for a year and a half and I can't find a job. And then you just post like, like, that's just, that's just kind of lazy, you know? And I, I feel for the people who struggle, they got a hundred percent, but like to think that, oh, let me, let me just do it for you. Like no one's going to hand you, especially in this economy, no one's going to hand you shit. You need to go mm-hmm. out there and either earn it and work your ass off. And if you're still struggling and have a problem with you're in half of not, um, not finding a job, maybe take a look in the mirror and find out why. Right. Or ask for feedback out of the, one of those interviews. You might not always get it, but every once in a while, you'll find somebody nice enough that'd be like, Hey, we, you know, we thought you were short on here, but then take mm-hmm. that feedback, internalize it, and then figure out how can I get better and then do it again. And then you just keep doing this over and over again. And eventually you'll break through right in a sense. As we're drawing close to this episode, what's the best way to support what you're doing, Matthew? First and foremost, I have I also have a podcast called Discovering Design. It's available on all major podcast platforms, Apple Music, Spotify, et cetera. Check it out. Um, I just finished recording the fourth season. So we'll have 13 oh, okay. new guests actually this season once I get around to finish editing it. Uh, probably in a couple of months, I'll debut it. But yeah, we're coming up with this fourth season now. So that'd be pretty cool. Um, my day job, uh, Verlens Persistence. We have an app called Sprint Zero. Head to sprintzero.app and check it out. Uh, but basically, we're agile, agility automated. Um, we can we want to help teams start shipping product in zero sprints versus you know however long it takes to either cobble together a bunch of point solutions or learn how to write queries or whatever. Um, we want to basically be TurboTax for product management. But that's only the beginning. Um, I would say stay tuned. We have a lot more in store, and I, I think what we're building is going to really kind of impact and change. Um, I think product development as a whole. So I'm really excited to, to bring it to people. Yes. And all links of that will be found in his show notes. So you can easily check out Matthew's podcast and his app website. It's just, oh, it's very incredible stuff going on there. So that's why oh, it's uh, so wonderful here. So any closing words you'd like our audience to know about? This is a really difficult and demanding job. If sometimes it feels hard, that's because it is <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it, like you're doing a lot. You're, you're more than you're usually asked to do more than you're probably physically mentally capable of, but mm-hmm. that's the job. Like, I don't I, I think people get a little too missed about the perception that like, Oh, I just make stuff. You know, I just make stuff in Figma all day. Like, no, man, you're talking to people. You're taking meetings with stakeholders. You are spending a little time in Figma. You're writing, you're meeting with developers. Right. So it's, 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 it is a, mentally and almost physically demanding job. And so I, I don't think there's any, don't kid yourself about it, that it is. Um, what else did I put on? Oh, um, take time to do things that you love. So for me, um, I'm a musician by heart. And so um, when I really feel like I'm getting into it, I'll stop everything and I'll go produce a track and then listen to it for an hour. Um, it just brings me joy. So it's very important as you're going through this to not forget about that thing that does bring you joy. And it shouldn't be design related. It should be something from maybe your childhood or whatever. Right. But 
have mm-hmm. that outlet to, to, to constantly do something that, that you find passionate. Thank you, Matthew, for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Please do support our guests. Until then, you just listen to the UX Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Mann. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.